Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast. Uh, continues to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, sales professionals, and really, uh, you know, business professionals in general. Uh, This is really because of the guests. Uh, These are folks who join me. They have uh, an area of expertise uh, that has something to do with business, and they give of their time and their knowledge to have a conversation with me so that you, the listener, can uh, take the information that you need and uh, apply it in your business and do greater things. Today's no different. My guest today is Imtiaz Patel. Imtiaz is a strategy and business development executive with a strong track record in building, growing, and turning around businesses. He spent a number of years as a management consultant for companies such as Dow Jones and The Children's Place where he developed growth strategies based in digital expansion, market entry, cost reduction, and right-sizing business. He now runs his own consulting firm, Accelerated Growth Solutions, that specializes in helping companies achieve aggressive growth rates. Thanks so much for joining me today, Imtiaz. Oh, thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I love, we're going to be talking about why uh, about aggressive growth and uh, what it is and why it matters and you know when it comes to really um, building your business, uh, which I think is a great topic that we don't really talk about um, head on. So um, I, I'm I guess I where I'd like to start is if you could explain to the listeners how aggressive growth is different from other growth strategies. Uh, sure. Um, so really, it's it's a question of scale, and a lot of the work that I've been doing is around helping companies grow aggressively in terms of maybe doubling their business over the course of three or four years, as opposed to incremental <clears throat> growth, which could be um, you know two five percent a year. And the challenges of aggressive growth are a little different than kind of the incremental growth that companies may see. For example, when you grow aggressively, the demands on 
the business are much higher, the demands on the ownership are much higher. You need to think about how you're going to put the infrastructure in place and the team in place to really deliver on that growth and how you're going to really raise capital to fund all of this because the capital requirements are higher as you grow more aggressively. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I I, I think um, I would think one of the scary parts would be being sure that you could handle that growth uh, when it, you know, being prepared for it so that you can handle it when it occurs. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the challenge is um, sometimes what allows companies to grow is because they are entrepreneurial. They don't have a lot of restrictions and policies in place so they can uh, hit, um, respond to market needs very quickly or customer needs very quickly. But as you grow, you want to put the structure, the processes, the systems in place. And I've seen companies that have done it badly. They've over-engineered their processes and everything. And as a result, uh, the growth comes to a halt. And that is a, a fundamental challenge every entrepreneur faces. I'm so glad that you said that because I was I, that was going to be my next question, which was are, are there times when – um, the changes that they make actually end up like putting them in a straitjacket, you know, because you're right. I mean, entrepreneurial, we want to be able to bob and weave and adapt and adjust, but in order to grow, you have to have structure. So it's, it's interesting. I could see it um, potentially working against a, a company. Oh, absolutely. And the, and the other thing that happens is a lot of times it's usually one strong person who's grown the business. And now they have to trust other people to grow the business. And the mistake a lot of times they make is everything has to go through them. They become a bottleneck and they're involved in way too many decisions and they don't have the bandwidth. That becomes a real issue for a lot of companies. Yeah, that's interesting. I can absolutely see that happening. Huh. Okay. So what are the central touchstones of aggressive business growth? I think it all, at the end of the day, has to start with what's the market need and what's different about you. So, for for example, if you're looking at a marketplace, you really need to understand your customers and what's driving them and thinking not just about today, but thinking about the trends and how your customer's business is going to evolve. You then need to think and uh, think about how the, your competitors are going to kind of address that marketplace need and the customer needs as well. Because what you want to do is clearly differentiate yourself and stand for something. It could be innovation. It could be the level of service you provide. It could be price. you got to pick a lane and really be known for that and evolve with your customers. So once you understand that, you can then start putting in place the structures, the processes, the strategy to really go after that business and grow rapidly. So I, I used to, um, I had my own business, uh, which I sold at the end of last year, and we were growing 40, 50% a year, three years straight uh, when I sold out. 
And the way we did that was we really thought about how's the market evolving, what's our customer need, who are our competition, and what's going to be our point of difference. Once we thought about that, we then said, okay, the business is out there. How do we go about getting it? How do we get known? So that led us to kind of thinking about our marketing, how to scale up our marketing programs, how to scale up our sales activity, um, and also then on the back end, how to scale our billing systems, collections, all that kind of stuff so we could grow with the business. So those are all the components. It's a a market piece and it's an internal piece that you have to think about as well. Yeah, I like how comprehensive that is. And and the the, um, thinking about the market and, and picking a lane. I think there's an awful lot of business owners out there who are a little afraid to pick a lane because they're afraid they're going to miss out on some aspect of of the market that they could uh, serve. And the question comes down to, should they be? That's right. Yeah, especially when you're a smaller business and you're looking to grow, cash is so important and looking to bring that business in. But you want to be known for something at the end of the day, and you want to be absolutely fantastic at that. And that will allow your business to grow because the message will get out there and you get everything your business does is aligned. And I'm a big believer in alignment of your business processes and how you approach the business with your strategy and how you're going to win in the marketplace. So that is why you have to pick a lane because you can't be, for example, I'll give you an example. Years ago, uh, all the airlines started low-cost airlines. So if you remember, United started an airline called Head uh, Continental, uh, started an airline called Continental Light to compete with all the low-cost carriers like Southwest, but none of them could do it well because they were positioned to be full-service airlines and all their processes and cost structures and everything they did just wasn't aligned to be a low-cost carrier. So within a year, all those low-cost divisions of all those airlines pretty much went out of business or shut down because they just couldn't make it work. It's all about alignment. Wow, that's a great example. Okay, so I, I want to sort of shift and ask you, what is game theory? Um, yeah, it's um, there's a lot of research and economics being done around game theory, but it's really, the way I think of it in very simple terms, if I do something, someone else will also be thinking about doing something, and if I do something, they may respond as well. Um, it, it's like, think about sports. If uh, you're a running back playing football and you're running with the ball, everyone is responding to that on the field, the defense, the offense, everyone. So that essentially is game theory. It's what you do and how everyone will respond. So I like taking it one step further. So if we know that when we do something, others will respond, can we predict how they will respond? And if I can do that, I may now choose to do something differently to put myself at an advantage against all the other players so I can win. It's chess moves. 
Think of it that yeah, way. Yeah, I was just thinking, thinking a few that. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so then you, so, so then in business, how does someone use it? Is it that they? I mean, I'm just going to ask. How do they use it? Do they hmm. look at how people are responding to their marketing? It it could be a number of this, uh, different things. It yeah. could be as simple as let's say I have I make a widget and I'm going to reduce the price of that widget. Will How will other people respond? Are they going to reduce their prices as well? And does that then blunt uh, the move I made and all we're doing now is losing money? If I'm going to introduce a brand new product into the marketplace, how will someone else respond? So, um, great example here is cell phones. Every time Everyone knows that Apple has a new cell phone coming out every year with new features. Samsung is ready to respond to that. So they're thinking about how Apple's going to move. Apple's thinking about Google and Samsung and doing all that kind of stuff. It could even be at a very strategic level where you're saying, okay, I'm going to get into this line of business. Who are the competitors? I need to understand if I get into that line of business, what they may do. Um, and therefore, then I can decide what my strategic moves are going to be. So it's pretty much anything that relates to doing something in the marketplace. That's really interesting. Okay, so if there's a business that's in a declining market, are there strategies that they can use to, to turn the business around? Yeah, you know, it, it, there's a number of different things they can do. And I'll, I'm going to start with a couple of examples from my own experience okay. um, from when I was at the Wall Street Journal. So I joined the journal at the end of 2005 when the print business was starting to decline and everything was about digital and people would be like, well, why would you even join a company that has a print product and they're going out of business? <laughs> and to me, it was a really, really interesting strategic challenge. And what we ended up doing, our strategy there was really to understand how um, consumption of news is changing. People use the print newspaper, but they're also using digital. And what we un understood is we tried to get underneath just the top level numbers and really understand human behavior. And what we understood was Actually, people are using both. They're just using them in different occasions and for different purposes. So that was insight number one. Insight number two was, well, we know how people respond to pricing very differently. So we, um, I'm going to geek out a little bit on economics here. We, we tried to understand the price elasticity of consumer demand, which essentially says uh, basically a what would our demand be if we drop the price or raise the price? And we found that if we drop the price early on, we could really get a lot of new subscribers. We actually were able to reduce our price acquisition price from about $140 a year to 99 and 99 was a trigger point for us because it's two digits, two digits under $100. Um, which then allowed us to get in so many new subscribers that on the back end, we also understood that people were less sensitive to price. 
if they were subscribers for a couple of years with us because they really appreciated the product, uh, we could raise the price. So we ended up growing revenue about $400 million over four years and increasing the profitability by well over $100 million. And our circulation never dropped when every other newspaper circulation was declining. We became the number one newspaper. So that's kind of really understanding human behavior yeah. and understanding the value of pricing and how it relates. So that's example one. The second example from the journal is I, I took over a business where we sold newspapers to hotels. And this business had been declining every year, a couple of percentage points. It had never been profitable. And what we tried to really understand is what are the drivers for hotels? Why are they buying newspapers? What would make them buy newspapers? And what are the problems that hotels are trying to solve for their own customers, which is really the franchisee that opens a hotel location? Most hotel chains don't own a lot of hotel locations themselves, it's franchises. And we understood that they had to try and show their franchisees that they were reducing costs for them. So we're like, okay, how do we solve this problem for, with our product? And they used to buy our newspaper in USA Today. And the strategy here was we showed them, A, we have a great product. It's not just about business news, but it also has sport and lifestyle and politics. So it serves a breath of needs for your consumer base, which was important to them. But I'm actually going to sell you that newspaper for less than you uh, buy, the, buy USA Today. So you now have an ability to show your customers that you're saving them money. We were able to triple the size of the business in 18 months as a result. So in this case, it's all about solving your customers' problems. Yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah. Wow, those are great examples. Huh. Yeah, and, you know, other things to do as well. So, for example, thinking about international expansion is always a good thing. Thinking about product adjacency. So if you're in a market with a certain product, could you move into a market using a similar product that allows you to expand your customer base. So it allows you to, you're still folk, um, leveraging um, the core of your product. What we did at the journal, I actually took the journal into the wine business. So we started a completely new uh, product line, leveraging the brand promise of the Wall Street Journal, which was about trust and discovery. So we ended up creating a business that was highly profitable and was able to grow very rapidly. I really like that a lot. I think some people get, you know, we were talking about being in your lane. I think sometimes they get so um, tunnel vision in their lane that they don't step out of it to see, are, are there other applications for this? Are there tweaks that, you know, very small tweaks that I could do to it that would open up a whole other marketplace you know what are the needs out there and can this thing fill other needs and so they end up hurting themselves because they can't see beyond what they've known that's right that's right and it's and you have to be really careful you don't want to do it in a way where you destroy your core business or change the essence of what your core business is in our case we were 
leveraging the brand essence of it. And so that never changed. And that allowed us to go into this new market. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, hang on. I'm going um, to I have to take a sponsor break and then uh, we'll sure. continue. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Transform Your Company by Alex Vorobiev and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Imtiaz Patel about the value of being aggressive with growth. So, for, for, well, let's see, how do I want to ask this question? Um, is there, are, are there challenges that someone would go through if they were moving from a consulting role to an operating role? Oh, absolutely. So, when I first went from my consulting role at Deloitte to um, joining the Wall Street Journal Dow Jones, um, my, my biggest worry at that time was, oh, am I going to be doing the same thing day in, day out, and am I going to be bored? Because I like projects, and I like thinking about different problems. And I had two insights after I joined uh, the Wall Street Journal. One is no day was ever the same. We had lots of different things we were working on. It was really exciting. And the second was that I really underestimated how difficult it is to implement new ideas and make change happen. Uh, It's like turning a tanker. It's slow. It needs consistent uh, just keeping at it. I really didn't appreciate it. I always said that if I went back into consulting, which I now have, I would be a much better consultant because I appreciate how difficult it is and how much hard work it is and what really needs to be done to make change happen. So, so would you uh, recommend that a business owner spend time not in the operations of their business, but maybe like looking at it from a consulting view or an outside view to, you know, make to, in order to develop strategies for growth? Yeah, I, I think the key thing is uh, being able to step away and really look at the business from a market, a competitor, a customer perspective and really get that uh, perspective as opposed to looking at the day-to-day and saying, oh, I can't do that because, um, or that would never work here. You need to somehow divorce yourself from the day-to-day 
Um, you know, the great thing about consulting is it teaches you an approach to framing a problem and coming up with ways to look at the problem, maybe sometimes differently. Um, but if you can step away, I think you can uh, be successful from a strategic standpoint. You know, one of the reason, uh, things that worked for me at the journal was I looked at everything and I said, well, why are we doing this? Why does this make sense? I don't care that we've always done it this way. It's irrelevant to me. I, I'm, I'm always constantly thinking about the future. And if you can do that, I think you can think strategically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you have to be able to challenge the status quo. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, know, that makes me think of a saying that I use all the time is if you don't cannibalize yourself, someone else will. So you Uh, have to constantly think about uh, reinventing, uh, pushing uh, before someone else does it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I was just um, watching uh, 60 Minutes, and they had the guy who just took over the New York subway system. And mm-hmm. He has to make massive changes to it, and um, and, and it, it's just fascinating to to listen to because it's such it, it's so huge um, that you could think that it was too big to really affect change, and yet they have to. So. Um, you know, it, it's, it was listening to his perspective on it was really very interesting. Yeah. So, but speaking of that, um, I would think that large organizations are, are possibly more challenged to drive change than small ones that are, you know, flexible and, and easily and, and can move around easily. So if somebody's listening and they, are responsible for a large organization. Do you have some insights on how, or ideas on how they can drive change? I I think there's a couple of things. Uh, One is you've got to almost prime your organization to want change and be open to change. So what, uh, and that to me is a cultural thing. Um, I've worked with way too many companies where the culture is, uh, yeah, let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's not take any risk um, because no one ever got fired for not taking a risk. Let's just play safe. And I think you've got to break out of that mindset. So another of our journal examples, um, a team I took over, I wanted them to take risks and come up with ideas because I didn't feel like I – I knew enough to come up with the ideas and the ideas reside in the team. They just needed to be unleashed and they needed to feel like they could take the risk and no one will hold, no one will blame them if things don't uh, work out. I always told them if we're trying a bunch of stuff and everything succeeds, that means we're not pushing the envelope enough. We need to be able, we need to be okay with failing. So I think, that's where it starts and then you've got to start thinking about um, how you pull those people in constantly to come up with these ideas and uh, you know validating what they've been saying Um, because the idea we we found that the ideas were just there 
I just needed to give them a framework to be able to flourish in that. That's it. That's one thing. The second is a lot of communication. You want to talk about the vision of where you want to get to, um, and you want to do that on a consistent basis, uh, on a regular cadence, so people start wanting to achieve the same thing. Um, and the, and and a goal. Um, this is after me, but, but the uh, Dow Jones, which is the parent company of Wall, Wall Street Journal, they set themselves a goal of hitting hitting a certain number of they like calling them members, which is essentially subscribers, um, of hitting a goal of three million within three years. And everything they did in the business was aligned around this one goal. It's such a simple goal, but it channeled the entire organization to start thinking about it and behaving in ways to achieve that number. I, oh my gosh. So I think that is so incredibly important that everyone in the organization is working toward that goal, regardless of what they do. They're aware of it and they're working toward it. Because, That's right. Yeah, yeah, that, that is huge. Wow. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's very... Communication. Oh, yeah, you, and you've got to keep reinforcing it and everyone has to sing from the same tune. And everyone just says, yeah, oh, yeah, three million. We've got to get to it by this date. And then they got to it and they had a big celebration and uh, everyone was happy. Yeah. And and no one felt like there was something going on they didn't know anything about and everyone felt like they were contributing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And And the other thing it does is, a, it, it gets everyone channeled to that goal, but then it also gives them something to say, everything we're doing connects to this. So they understand what their contribution is as an individual towards that goal and gives them a greater sense of meaning as well to their day-to-day job. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's so important. It makes it so much easier to do it. Wow. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about scaling because, you know, we talked about making sure that you've got the infrastructure in place. Are there uh, like steps or specific things that someone should be thinking about when it comes to, you know, making sure that they've got those those foundational uh, items in, in place in order to grow and be able to scale? Uh- yeah, absolutely. But I think we have to think of it. I mean, if you think about scaling, it comes down to a, a few things, right? Do we have the management talent in place? Do we have the right number of people in place? Do we have the right systems and tools um, to run our business? And then capital. Those are probably the main things. But the sequence you start in, I think, depends on where you think the first choke point is going to come. Um, and a lot of times it's really around, let's say, uh, it's around management. Like, as the business gets to a certain point, the person who's been making a lot of decisions cannot be expected to make all the decisions all the time anymore. So you've got to kind of have more 
management in place, either whether you bring them in from the outside, which is what happens in a lot of cases, or you've groomed someone internally who can start making some of those decisions for you. Uh, so you're not the bottleneck. And you've got to have a very clear idea of what decisions you uh, are making versus what decisions the others are making. So there's a clear line of responsibility and everyone understands who they go to uh, for different things. I have a client right now. Um, they have a global head of sales and they've hired a new head of sales for North America, but it's a smaller company. So everyone just goes to anyone and it creates so much churn and the poor guy who's bought in to run sales in North America, like everyone just bypasses him because they're thinking, oh, he's just going to go to the other guy to get approvals anyway. So we'll just bypass him. That is not effective. <laughs> so so you, you think about that. In my own business, um, what we needed to do was really scale up our marketing effort. So we... Um, we did a couple of things. We um, decided to get a new CRM, salesforce.com. We decided to then build some marketing automation into salesforce.com so our emails could go out on a regular cadence. Um, and it went out to a segmented audience. We bought something called Pardot, which uh, Salesforce um, owns as well. And Salesforce was a great platform for us because to me, it's... It, Salesforce is really just the platform and you can plug and play a lot of different things. So as your business scales, you can uh, scale the different functionality as well. Um, so that was going to be our next cho choke point. So that's what we went after. And then uh, the current client I work with, so here's the flip side of it. The current client uh, I mentioned with the North American sales, what they did is they had a plan to double the business in three years and the market would have sustained that. They are the top provider in that marketplace. The marketplace is growing at a ridiculous pace right now. And they ended up bringing in a lot of senior executives from the outside. But the people they bought in all came from large companies who were used to certain systems, tools, processes in place that were probably useful for companies that are five, $10 billion in sales, not a company that was at 25 million. Um, and that ended up choking the entire business. Oh. And it's taken two years to unwind that. Wow. So. I know. So you can think that you're, you're picking people who, because of, they, you know, their experience or, you know, the level they're at, but, but if there isn't a cultural fit or, you know, cohesive understanding of where we're taking this thing and where we want to go and who plays what part, that can be really dangerous. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think you hit it, the nail on the head there, a cultural fit. You need a certain type of person, someone who understands, can be somewhat entrepreneurial in a situation like that, understands where this company is coming from, and then how to has a vision of what types of infrastructure and processes are going to have to go in place, but isn't looking to do it all in one step. 
is going to take a, as my client likes to say, crawl, walk, run approach yeah. uh, to building toward that vision. Right. And some small wins along the way. So then people are buying into yeah. the need to put in some structure. Right. Right. Yeah. You can go really crazy and yeah. Uh, wow. I, I got to tell you, this is so great. I really appreciate this information. I, I think it makes aggressive growth less scary, um, and but but also provides a real framework for, okay, listen, you know, here are, the, here are the things you just, you have to make sure you're thinking about, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, difficult or um, really challenging. However, it can be really challenging <laughs> if you're not doing uh, you know, if you're not really doing your due diligence and paying attention to the things that you need to and pulling everybody in. So, uh, boy, thanks for uh, sharing all of that. Great. Will, you, Great. will you share with the listeners, you know, about you and your, your company and how they can find you and anything you have going on, please? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, easiest way to contact me is through my website, which is www accgrowthsolutions.com or through LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect with people and have a dialogue with them. Um, and, you know, right now I'm kind of in the midst of a couple of client engagements. One is a billion dollar company that was bought by a private equity firm and I'm helping them cut costs right now so they can take the savings and reinvest in um, growth areas of the business and then uh, I've been working with this other smaller firm and really putting in process I'm, I'm playing a little bit of uh, the internal chief operating officer role on a part-time basis to help them figure out how they will actually scale the business um, both here and in Europe so lots of fun kind of stuff going on yeah it sounds like it sounds like a lot of fun well, thank you again so much for spending um, some time with us, and I would also like to thank the listeners and our sponsor. If you'd like a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook when you sign up for that trial, please go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.